Hello, this is Lance Farrell with Life at Level 10, where you get inspired to live your best life. Hey, this is Lance Farrell here with Todd Dore. We had a great call last time. We talked about how he got started in martial arts and his journey through competing in Korea and the whole ball of wax is a lot of fun. A lot of people now really are interested in how we started the body shaping program. And Todd was there from the beginning. He's been there the whole time. This interesting story, I think. So Todd, um, what was some of the things that got us to think about even doing kickboxing? Because that was what we weren't doing. We were doing straight martial arts, vanilla. We had the white uniforms, taekwondo, hapkido, judo, and it was very traditional. And kickboxing typically wasn't traditional. At some point in 97, I want to say the summer of 97, we started to get calls uh, from from primarily women who asked us about, uh, asked us if we had fitness kickboxing. Actually, the first call I I received uh, was from a gal that asked if we had Tybo. And and I remember uh, responding to her, I, I said, Ty what? And uh, she said, Taibo. And I said, yeah, we have Taekwondo. And she said, no, Taibo. Well, I didn't know what I didn't know what that was. I had no idea what she was talking about. So um, she went on to explain what it is. It was a program started by Billy Blanks, a martial artist. And and uh, and and my first thought was, well, that, that sounds silly, you know, being the traditional martial artist. And then we kept getting calls. And uh, so we started to look into it a little bit and uh, we could see what Billy Blanks was doing. Of course, you know, millions of Americans still have uh, Billy Blanks Tybo VHS tapes stored away securely in their basement. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but, you know, we started to look at what Billy uh, was doing. We started to look at what other people were doing. And the thing that really... Uh, you know, attracted us to this was, hey, we can do this. You know, we can do this in times that we're not teaching our our martial arts classes. And so I, I just remember at the end of, of 97, we started to put together our program. Um, and one of our advantages being martial artists, we knew right away was we actually knew how to punch and kick. That was our forte. And we had bags. We already had kicking bags that we used for our martial arts classes. So we always view that as, as our competitive advantage when in reality, around the same time, I mean, several months after we had launched, there were several other uh, martial arts, not even martial arts studios, but local gyms that uh, started doing group fitness classes and offered kickboxing. Because of Billy Blanks. Because yeah, because Billy Blanks. people wanted it. People were saying, hey, do you have Tybo? Do you have kickbacks? I want to do it. Yeah, and but it wasn't the same for us because we punched and kicked the bag. That was our bread and butter. Yeah. It was one of our core competencies being martial artists. We knew how to do it effectively and to really do good quality technique. And I remember when this first started, we were researching and we found one of them called Tokyo Joe's kickboxing yep. remember that oh yeah <laughs> and it was just some martial artist guy that decided he wanted to kickboxing and had his own take on it and it really wasn't for us i won't say anything negative about tokyo joe i don't know who he, who he is but it wasn't for us that style wasn't for us yeah you know and the cool thing was when we launched the program it was it was an open slate for us i mean we just basically had a white 
just a blank uh, whiteboard and we could create whatever we wanted. So, you know, early on, we really focused on the Tybo um, like uh, warm up, which which we just consider a warm up now. But we had an extended warm up. So bags were always secondary. Um, over time, we realized that people really like punching and kicking the bag. So we added a little bit more bag time to our program. You know, it's funny too. We tried with that blank slate, we tried a bunch of different uh, exercises. So we would, you know, kick the, kick the shields. We, you know, we had all these body shields that we would use for martial arts classes. We would kick those. We would have hand mitts, you know, that we would use, you know, your partner grab a set of hand mitts. And if you've ever done mitt work before, you realize that it takes a special skill. It's a, it's a developed skill to actually hold the mitts. And so it was really frustrating for students to uh, have their, their, their fellow student hold their mitts and not really hold them correctly. So they know what they were doing. Yeah. I remember actually having them spar too. So, Hey, put the chest trainers on. We're going to wow. do sparring in our kickbox classes. That didn't last very long, did it? Yeah, that was on Wednesdays, and and uh, coincidentally, uh, Wednesdays were the lowest attended class of the week. It's funny too when we started, we had the full schedule of martial arts, so we just started this at nine o'clock in the morning, and we had one late class in the evening after the martial arts classes were over. I think in Beaverdale we had two practice rooms, so we could squeeze it in one room. It was still highly attended. Those classes were really good, and and I remember having somebody out at our West Des Moines location say, "Hey, uh, we want to." start a 6 a.m. class out here and I said well you know you're going to have to have all kinds of bench strength for the instructors because our guys our martial artists are getting up open the studio at 9 10 o'clock and they're there until 9 10 p.m. so that's a 12-hour day I didn't want to tax our martial arts full-time guys and gals because they they couldn't do more than that so I said hey so so they ended up having started a 6 a.m. class out in West Des Moines and they had three instructors slated for that class every time a man tell you that just took off you know that became our busiest time five and six a.m ended up selling out in short order once we started doing the body shaping but then the kickboxing and going back we you know so we researched it we started in 1998 and we just ran some radio spots i think we started in january actually because it was a hot time and we had 166 new people start and we think we had three locations at the time and between those three we had that many students, right? Oh yeah. And explosion of students. Explosion because we were leveraging the Billy Blank's popularity of this. Yep. And actually Pepper Reached did our radio was an expert in radio. And that's we all we did was run radio spots for that. Yeah. I mean, that time was, you know, it was it was interesting because we had so many students enroll that hadn't done kickboxing before. I don't looking back, I don't think we we're well prepared to you know, get them up to speed like we are now. But, you know, we had we had students. It was fun. Um, people really wanted this. Yeah. And we charged thirty five dollars a month for it. Remember that? That's right. And the problem with it was after like one or two months, we were down to less than half that many people. They just didn't stay with it. And the ones that did stay with it for a, over a year, we saw that. So uh, end of 1999, 2000, we saw people that around for a long time, but they really weren't changing physically. I'm sure their cardiovascular was great because they were doing these really demanding classes, but they weren't losing body fat just doing the kickboxing. That was just so clear. They weren't changing. Right. And we thought that they would. 
we went to a seminar in, I think it was in Florida and NAPMA seminar and Charlie Foxman was presenting how you could do strength training with a class. And we saw him with bands doing this and we thought, okay, well, that's the answer because gosh, you can't have a whole bunch of machines and a whole bunch of free weights and stuff in a room and have everybody doing it at the same time. We're used to as martial arts, we're used to teaching the class. Right. And Charlie had figured out how these bands are. That's a low inventory thing. You have all different colors, which are different levels. So you could actually hang them on your wall and have a band for everybody's needs, for whatever yeah. you want to do. And so he was the first, well, first one we saw do that, right? Yeah. And to back up a little bit in time there, Lance, you remember this because, and I remember it very clearly, we were at the same martial arts convention a year before, and we were mm -hmm. watching a demo by uh, Ernie Reyes Sr., who uh, owned and ran the West Coast Martial Arts Association, very well-known martial artist, in his 50s and doing this demo and had his shirt ripped off. And we we just sat there shocked at how uh, chiseled he was. A 55-year-old man looked like a professional bodybuilder. At his age, I couldn't absolutely couldn't believe it. And then he sat down and gave a talk afterwards, and he said that he had had picked up a book and applied the principles the books called body for life and he applied the principles to body for life and and he just said very casually you all should go out and get that book and follow follow the program he said i'm in the best shape i've ever been in now when we heard that it was pretty shocking because ernie reyes seniors a uh, top level martial artist a world mm -hmm. taekwondo uh, championships medalist. And so coming from him, it was pretty shocking. So I remember looking at you and you looked at me and, and you said, I'm going out to buy a dozen books as soon as we get out. So we're going to give all of our staff, give them well, to our, all of our staff. Yeah. The thing about Ernie Reyes too is Ernie Reyes Jr. is a chip off the old block, you know, very athletic, but then the West Coast cry, they're in the movies and everything. So he was one of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the first movie his son was. But yeah, Ernie inspired us and a lot of other people to read that book. And I remember you and I stayed with the program for the entire year. The rest of our staff really kind of let it fall by the wayside because when you don't have a coach, you don't have somebody to hold you accountable. It's just you just don't stay with it that well. You got you need that accountability, which we learned personally. And right. if you're self-motivated, you can get through it. So you and I had such great results. That's what really inspired us to start the program. Right. And, and you know, three days a week of cardio, three days a week of strength training and follow a, a simple nutrition plan. And you and I did it with very little accountability. I mean, we would ask each other how we're doing, but th there wasn't much else to it. But we had great results, which was amazing. You know, that the strength training component. I think really, really shocked us. But, you know, I remember talking with you about this for, gosh, a year or so. And we just kept talking about how we can put this in our program and just couldn't figure out the the strength train, the weights. You know, how do we put weights mm -hmm. in our studio? That adds another element of, of course, uh, of liability and training. And that just really wasn't the direction we wanted to go until, as you mentioned, the year afterwards, we saw this demonstration of a strength training class using resistance bands. And we looked at each other and said, that's that's it right there. That's the missing piece. Yeah. And, you know, since then, we actually have in some locations that had dumbbells, which actually works out pretty good, too. So in that first group, I remember this, this is September 2001, when we started our launched our first official body shaping class. We had 40 people. And I remember 
trying to get these moms and stuff to do it and get our staff to do it again. So part of the 40 people were some of our full-time staff. Yeah. Maybe some were new before we even started this, but everybody had such great results. We did before and after pictures and I was my, blew my mind how well every single person did that stuck with it. I had a couple of people drop out, but most people stay with it. And the results were mind blowing. And that was the eye opener for me. Like, wow, this is what most people in our country need right now. Something that's going to help them lose body fat, put muscle on, feel stronger. And, you know, the thing is we do a mile run in the beginning, mile run at five weeks, mile run at the end. And during the whole course, we don't run. All we do is kickboxing, strength training. Like you said three days a week for each. And then follow the nutrition, eating five, six meals a day with protein the size of your palm, carbs the size of your fist. That gets people in better shape without running, which was also mind-blowing to me. People were taking two and three minutes off their mile run. They worked as hard as they could that first time they ran it. And then at the end, they just were amazingly faster, which goes to show that the fitness that you're doing, eating healthy and doing everything that we do in the program does help with your cardiovascular. So then we had our first winner, and the idea was we're going to pay him $1,000 for since most transformed, have all of our coaches. And we had a coach for every 10 or fewer people, which was really the accountability key that you and I knew we needed to have this. And what's great is since we started martial arts, it's got a martial arts culture to it, which is the Mr. Miyagi Danielson really helping you build on your strengths and not browbeat you for your weaknesses, but just develop those strengths and build them up through positive remarks and not the negative. You know, the biggest loser was around back then too. And that was the Jillian Michaels browbeat you till you couldn't stand it. Get out of the dog on program. They'd be done with it because it was just not something you could live with forever. Ours is something we always in, in our minds wanted to be something people could do for the rest of their life. And it's like the body for life program, you know, can we do this forever? And that's why we actually have a fun day. Some people Sunday, some people Saturday, but then you don't have to work out that day. You don't have to be disciplined on your eating as much. And, and most people, they would go nuts and then they'd be sick on Monday because they did so much fun day cheating on their food and they would eventually reel it in. So, but having that freedom to do anything 24 seven, that's why people don't stay with it. But that one day, that fun day actually made it doable. So you could have a, a, a physical and a mental spiritual rest from all that. Right. And then hit it hard again for another six days. But after a length of time, people then didn't have so much fun on the fun day because they realized it wasn't worth it because you paid the price on Monday. Right. But so we gave a thousand dollars to the most transformed and these coaches that had 10 or fewer people in groups, they voted on the winner. And it was up to them to vote to pick out who the winners are looking at mainly before and after photos. We look at the stats too, but the picture really tells a thousand words. And our first winner was who? It was Liz. Liz Ward. Yeah. Liz Ward. It was mind blowing to her that she won the thousand dollars. We paid that money to them. We said, hey, we're paying you this money because we want to use your images for marketing. Yeah. And that was pre-social media. So you had to do it through the newspaper or however magazines, uh, those little weekly things come on the stands in the in the coffee shops. She's like, oh, how much, how much marketing dollars could they have? I'm not worried about that. And I hope Liz listens to this podcast because she's smiling right now. She, she knows she knows where this is going. This, this company came to me. We're, we're always looking for ways to market and get our name out there. And they did advertising in movie theaters. And so they would run ads. They were just pictures and stuff up on their movie screen before the movie started. And, and it was fairly reasonable. So I said, okay, we'll do that. We have our people go, go to movies. We'll, we'll do some ads there. 
So I put Liz's before and afters up here and look bigger than life up on the movie screen, right? She didn't know I did. I probably should have said something, I, you know, but <laughs> she, she discovered it when she took her teenage boy with a bunch of his friends to the movie one night. And there she was up on the big screen in her bikini. Yeah, there's so, mom uh, in her bikini in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still laugh about that when I see Liz, but... We had the second winner, I believe, was Sally Broadback. Is that right? She won the second one. And then I can't remember all of them as we go through, but Sally had crazy good results. And that was over 20 years ago. And she's still with us. She's still teaching kickboxing and strength training with us at our West Des Moines location. It's just crazy how long people have been in this thing. Is there Has there been a time that you've looked at where you felt like, man, this is like a pivotal moment? You know, again, we had a, we had a blank slate. And so we started to create. We started to tweak. We started to modify. We did all these different things. Was there ever a pivotal point uh, in in your eyes that that you know really accelerated the growth and the progress? We had waiting lists. We had people that wanted to get into our class, and our class were full because we would only allow fifty people in that original setup. A pivotal moment is when Woody Little Candy, our head coach at Urbanville, said, "Hey, I want to open one of these locations." And I wanted to be a Ferrell's and he had two big, thick books full of research he'd done. I thought, wow, if, if I don't help him do a Ferrell's, he's going to go do his own thing because he really likes this idea and wants to do it. But he wanted to do one of ours. So he actually was our first license. He opened in Grimes. And we, I remember having a conversation with him. He is like, well, you know, just limited to 50 people doesn't make business sense because you can't really bring enough income in to pay for the facility. I want to be able to go more than that, like 100 or whatever. And I said, well, I gave, I remember giving them like an hour long speech because we're all about the accountability and, and quality. I said, look, if you have 100 people, you're going to have at least 10 coaches that are assigned to every 10 or fewer people to make sure they're getting that accountability that they're looking for. Anybody can go out and read the book Body for Life. But unless someone holds them accountable and has them go through it, then most people won't stick with it, especially for that length of time. 10 weeks is hard to stick with, much less a year, right? So that was a pivotal point when Woody approached me and wanted to open a license. And then we'd, we'd actually open some just body shaping locations instead of the martial arts. Remember, we had seven of those. We'd sold a license for Omaha, Nebraska. Then we sold a license for Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And those were outside of Des Moines marketing. And kind of an aha moment for me, a pivotal moment, as you say, is when I realized, okay, if it works outside of Des Moines market in these two markets, then it's probably something we want to franchise and just get get our, get our ducks in a row. Because there's three ways to grow your business. You can grow corporately, which you own all the stores, hire all your people and stuff, which is uh, it's kind of financially intensive and labor intensive. You've got your run it from afar, or you can sell a license, which is what CrossFit does. And a license is little looser you're not really you're not paying as much you're not gaining as much service you're just really paying to use the name and you do your own thing and then there's a franchise where you actually have an operations manual you have systems and you provide that and they pay a royalty on a regular basis to get those services that you're providing you're staying on the top cutting edge of things we decided the best model for us is a franchise there wasn't anybody in Des Moines that had really done much franchising that I knew of anyway. And so Twin Cities, New York, Chicago had like the best franchise attorneys. I made several phone calls. It was funny was because I asked them the same question too. When I called, I said, what, what caution would you give us when we're going to this franchise idea? And they all said the same thing. They said, don't grow too fast. Mm-hmm. And, and what I took from that is like, it was more fast isn't necessarily bad, but it's don't grow outside of your control want to make sure that you have your handle on what's going on and 
and that you can continue to provide service for the people that are buying your franchise. We we don't have that many stores being around for 21 years. Mm-hmm. So we've grown super slow like a tortoise, but our guys are pretty solid. But yeah, pick DLA Piper for our legal firm out of Chicago. Fantastic. And they help with a lot of the writing and initiating of the franchise docs. And then a big step was converting our licensees that we'd sold seven or eight of those into a franchise. So that was another step we had to do, which we did. Yeah, then we're off and running and it's we're really unique franchise. Most people have an idea. They're going to start this franchise. They have a couple stores. Their whole idea is to grow a franchise from the beginning. The first 10, 15 years we grew the franchise, it wasn't me going out to sell people a franchise. It was then coming to me saying, can I open one of these? Right. Every one of them. Right. And we grew to, gosh, over 50 stores with that model. Can I own one of these? People coming to us. And we, at first we said you had to be a level two instructor before you could buy a franchise, which takes two and a half years of being in the program before they can even get to that level. So we changed that. That was a little... You know, for a future for a future podcast, I I think there are probably people out there who are listening or will be listening that you know are small business owners and would have that idea of you know they've got something and how do I franchise this? I mean, you've got the experience of of taking an idea, taking a concept, putting it into action, growing it, and then starting a franchise would be uh, you know your your top five tips. On what to do and maybe some what not to do and in, in launching a franchise. So I know that's down the road, but uh, you would have some people that definitely would be interested in that. Yeah, I've actually coached a few people on the idea already that have different businesses that are talking about franchising. So it's not something that would be foreign to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fun. I think it's, uh, I like, I like paying it forward. If I can help somebody out, that's what life's about, right? Yeah. And really, you didn't stop there. I mean, I think part of the accelerated growth of uh, Ferrell's of FXB really happened uh, in the the Twin Cities in the Minneapolis-St. Paul market. You know, if you think about, you know, we were in Cedar Rapids, we're in the Omaha area, um, out to, to Colorado, Denver, Colorado Springs. There's that that one store that launched in uh, Blaine, Minnesota, that really launched the market. To me, that was a a real pivotal, another pivotal part of you know the the growth of Ferrell's. I don't know if you want to talk about that now. Um, yeah, we have a few minutes left. So that was yeah. Damien and Walter Wally that moved from Cedar Rapids up to the Twin Cities, and that's how, like, we grew the first. 10, 15 years, as I mentioned, people were being like missionaries, like pioneers going out to new areas. Yeah. They're going to a new city. And that is not how people typically do a franchise. Right now, if someone wants to open a franchise in XYZ business, they look at all the XYZ businesses that are not in their area that have availability in their market. They say, hey, I live here. I'm going to open a franchise here where I live. And they're just going to start a business in their community where they're already ingrained in their church and their grocery store. They shop there. There's kids are in school there. But our guys were moving from the communities to go open ferals, which is really a testament to how much passion they had for this to right. move to a whole new area where they know nobody and they're starting up this business. Right. To me, that's really mind blowing how we grew, how we did, like we did with that kind of business model. Yeah. To me, one of the the more interesting parts of, you know, pivotal parts of, of, of ferals and FXB is when people got results they told their friends about it you know and 
And some people didn't even tell their friends about it. You know, you'd see somebody three months later and all of a sudden they're in like phenomenal shape or they've really transformed their, their bodies are more outgoing. They're, you know, there's just something to them that has changed. And, you know, they would say, uh, well, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing ferals now. You ought to give it a try. You know, people would see the results and and they wanted to have that too. Exactly. I, even if you didn't like somebody and you saw them and you saw them transform, you would say, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? Or you would ask somebody what's going on because everybody wanted that same transformation. They wanted to be in better health. And we had a solution for people. You know, they come in, they would come in, they would do the orientation. We would get them on the right track. This was before food logs. Uh, or before uh, uh, technology and uh, and the apps, people were writing down everything that they ate. We would give them advice on improving and making better choices. That just kind of became this this ripple effect that flowed through the community. It's like people wanted wanted that because they weren't feeling that great, and I still think people want that today. Yeah, and you, like you said, our word of mouth was crazy good. We had walking billboards out there, people like, "Hey, Todd, what are you doing?" Well, I go to Farrell's, and then right. boom. Phone starts ringing. And until next time, this is Lance Farrell with Life at Level 10.